0: Let's start over with my microphone on. Let's start in a vulnerable place, at least a place vulnerable for me. I am someone who experiences a condition of the body and of the soul called hanger. I am someone who gets extremely hangry. And this uh, condition if you 're not familiar with it i 'm sure you 've experienced it at some level, but it 's a, a combination of of hunger and anger together that when my blood sugar drops, uh, so does my patience and uh, you know all sorts of other things that make me a normal functioning human uh, but you know it, there are, are days where this uh, takes over. In, in ways that uh, impact my relationships in detrimental ways. It's uh, hunger and anger are two of the four horsemen of the relational apocalypse, including loneliness and tiredness, uh, which this is free of charge. Uh, I, actually, I got this from Peter Smith about a decade ago. And uh, so hungry, angry, lonely, tired, a nice acronym uh, that I've, found, uh, as a helpful way of understanding how exactly I've screwed up after the fact in relational conflict. Oh, I was hungry. I was angry. I was lonely. I was tired. You're supposed to, you know, check in with yourself before, and uh, you get my point. I get hangry. My guess is so do you. But I have kind of gotten curious about this, uh, condition of my, of my soul, and, uh, I asked the question, why do I, I let my hunger uh, have so much control over me? And I, I started asking this question. Uh, this is Something that's such a part of everyday, normal, ordinary life, eating, uh, which is certainly a tremendous privilege, but is something that just comes about naturally for most of us, Approximately three times a day, and I started asking questions about my own experiences of hunger, and, and, and I, I realized that uh, right about the same time I was involved in, in helping start a, a, a food pantry ministry. Uh, as I was talking with people and, and and meeting people who would wait in line for hours uh, in the weather, in the cold, in you know on a Saturday morning to receive free food, that I had actually never really truly experienced hunger, at least hunger that puts me in a place of utter dependence. And so right about this time as well, I began um, to be introduced and and experiment with uh, this ancient practice of fasting. And I realized that over time that this not only put me in deeper touch with myself, it also helped me put, empathize and put myself in touch with those who I was serving, but it also put me in, in deeper contact with, with God. That uh, there was some connection between my physical hunger. Uh, and and my relationship with God. And, and it raised the, the question for me is what if our relationships with hunger directly impact our relationships, our relationship to God? What if your relationship with hunger directly impacted your relationship with God? For me, the, the way this question took shape was, I, I think that because I, my, my, my fridge is full, I am actually in some way less dependent upon God's vision than I want to be. Even with being grateful for meals and taking the time to actually instill that practice, I'm still not hungry enough to realize that I need to ask and be dependent upon God for this really fundamental base level need that I have. And so we are in a a series that we're calling Momentum. And we're looking over uh, four weeks at four life-changing directions, four ancient practices that put us on a path that helped build momentum in the direction of putting Jesus at the center of our lives and at the center of our daily experiences of living in relationship, in a body, in a community, on this planet. And this practice of fasting is, is one that we're exploring today as we seek to, with these practices, see these ancient uh, Rhythms as things that Christians have pointed to as the primary sort of catalysts for life change in the life of a follower of Jesus. And so last week we looked at prayer, this upward direction of turning our lives and our minds away from just the horizon of the urgent and temporary right in front of us, but towards God, of trusting God's character and presence and power. In our life. Uh, But as we continue to explore this question, how do I become the me that I want to be? How do I actually initiate and follow through on change in my life so that I can become the person who I desire to be at my best, but also as a follower of Jesus, the person I believe that God has created me to be? How do I do this? And today we're going to look at this inward practice of fasting. And as we we look inward, one of the things that we realize with this practice of fasting is that our stomachs can be full, while at the same time, our souls can be empty. Our stomachs, our lives can be full with lots of good things, while at the very same time, our souls can be empty and even atrophying in their capacity to be in relationship and with God, to recognize God's presence and power and provision in our everyday, ordinary lives. They, they actually shift our perspective and awareness of our role in the world. And so, as we begin, I I think fasting, of the four directions that we're going to talk about, I think fasting is, is the one that is the most foreign concept to us. We, we know it maybe in, in the, the sort of physical health world, like intermittent fasting is, is a big thing. Uh, a ketogenic diet includes you know intermittent fasting. It's a, it's, a, it's a more popular concept as a weight loss principle. But fasting isn't primarily about weight loss. Nor is it. Uh, we might be familiar with it in terms of uh, provoking social change through a hunger fast, uh, and and that is one utilization of fasting. But fasting as an ancient, regular, weekly practice of followers of Jesus is. A little bit distant, and so I just want to quickly define our terms here. So fasting, uh, the way I, I say it, is fasting is leveraging a temporary physical appetite to cultivate a lasting spiritual hunger. It's going without food and going without the things that surround food that that you're dependent on. Like for me, that's coffee to go without those things for a temporary period of time in order to experience physically deprivation and withdrawal and hunger and to take that hunger and leverage it as something that says, God, this is actually something that my body is telling me something much deeper that I long for, I hunger for, I'm dependent ultimately upon you. And only you, and you alone, despite how full my fridge is or what's in my bank account, only you can ultimately provide and satisfy my deepest hungers, my deepest longings, my most profound appetites. So this is what fasting is. But when we start talking about eating and our bodies, And things like that. There's a lot of messiness that gets in the way. A lot of shame that creeps in. And so I I just want to clarify some things as we continue forward. Uh, And the the theologian Andy Crouch writes this. That I think is really helpful to kind of help set this up for us. He writes that, of course, we are meant to eat. Our bodies were created by God. And God says, very good God creates life that's productive and says that is good. Our bodies are good. Our appetites are good, are given to us by God. These are good. And not only are we meant to eat, we're meant even to feast. There are moments in life where we just pile it on as just a gratuitous grace of God in the form of pizza and nachos and nachos on your pizza, whatever you want to do. But only when we fast do we make real progress toward being free of our dependence on food to soothe our depression and anesthetize our anxieties. It's interesting in in the Genesis story that begins the, the story of humanity's relationship to God our mistrust of God leads to conflict over eating. And food is what becomes central to our illusion that we are in more control of our lives and the world than we're actually created to be. And so fasting kind of sets us back in proper perspective of how we do that. So let's look at uh, some, a teaching of Jesus to help us understand more fully the way that this uh, practice is intended to move us in the direction of centering our lives on Jesus. And so this comes uh, from Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18. And this is from a passage of Jesus' ministry called the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, for us at North Fresno Church, a part of the tradition that we are in, the Sermon on the Mount is where we see most clearly who God is has always been, and what God has always desired for God's people. Jesus communicates as the word of God, the heart of God. And so we get a clear picture of God's desire and intent for this practice that has historically been misused and abused, and Jesus is going to address a bit of that. But here we see something pretty remarkable. Verse 16, Jesus says, when you fast full we'll stop, Jesus expects and assumes we're fasting. As a regular habit and discipline of the life of faith, fasting in the first century was included as one of three private personal acts of piety, of devotion, of, uh, of holiness uh, before God. Fasting, prayer, and generosity, giving to the poor. These were three private practices that were intended to help us become more like the people that we were created to be, but that are done in private, between yourself and God, from your heart to God's heart. Fasting is one of those, but it became something that was warped and twisted. Jesus continues, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And so at the time, as Jesus is talking to his disciples, it's likely that there were Pharisees, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, who had put on sackcloth, this really uncomfortable, like, wool thing that was just, like, really painful and was meant to, you know, just make you miserable, and ashes on their head, and they would, like, distort their faces and walk around and be like, oh, you know, super melodramatic. I'm so hungry, God. Oh, these pains of holiness. That was more fun for me than it was for you. <laughs> and Jesus says, man, they're getting what they're looking for, right? They're looking for the respect and affirmation and adulation of the crowds to say, oh, man, you, you all, whoo, you really take this, like, God stuff seriously. Wow, that's amazing. Jesus says they, they got what they were looking for. For us, this isn't, our temptation is similar, but it takes a different expression in the 21st century. For us, this is, this looks less like this approach to fasting, but we do have the same, a similar expression, which is a a sort of virtue signaling. This is a phrase that gets used basically to talk about our online behavior, the way that many of us show up in in social media spaces, but it's not just limited to social media. This is your bumper stickers. These are the, the signs that you put in front of your home during an election cycle. This is the way that you say things in your life group to get people to feel like, oh wow, you're really doing that. We all have some part of us due to this this emptiness in our souls that looks for the affirmation, the adulation, the appreciation of others to look at what we are doing before God and say, wow, that's really great, to put our, our piety on display. And Jesus says, if you do that, you will get what you're looking for. You will get likes on your post. You will get people to say, wow, that's really impressive. I'd never thought about things like that. I'm really glad that you have. I'm really grateful for you for encouraging me to do these sorts of things. We'll get what we're looking for. But Jesus wants to offer a different and better Approach to fasting. And so he continues in verse 17: when you fast, he says it again. When you fast, do it like this: put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting. So that morning, when you get up and you're ready to fast, dumps of olive oil on your head. Scrub it off on your face and walk out into the world and look incredibly normal. No, Jesus is, is essentially saying like, "Look normal. <laughs> look like you would every other day when you are eating. Do what you would do normally. <laughs> Don't make a show of it. Just be real. and and Jesus continues verse 18 but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you what Jesus is inviting us into is a direction a practice where we deprive ourselves food so that we hunger more for God. And Jesus promises that when we do that, God sees what you are doing. God sees that hunger in your belly that you are saying, God, this is actually for you. And God is like, yes. Yes, it is. Yes, you do. And yes, I will, I will satisfy your needs, I will fulfill your longings, I will be present to you, this is what Jesus is saying, your father in heaven will be present to you, looking you in the face saying, yes, this is right, this is good, this is how we're doing, and that's, that is the only face we need to see, that is the only Reward that we need—that is the only motivation that we need—is for the God of the universe to say, "Well done. This is awesome. I can get behind this sort of thing." And and what is that reward in 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 practical terms? Not that having God with you is not practical. But I just want to illustrate this a little bit further. John chapter 4, Jesus, uh, it's this ongoing story, but Jesus' disciples who had gone into a town to get food for Jesus and crew uh, come back with food, and, and Jesus had been talking with someone while they were away. And uh, they come back, and Jesus is hungry, and so they're like, hey, we, we got your food. And so meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, very cryptically and in the way that Jesus' disciple John likes to put things, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples, as confused as you and I, look to each other and like, uh, could somebody have brought him food while we were gone? He squirrel away a cliff bar in his pocket? And Jesus continues. Jesus said to them, my food, my sustenance, the thing that nourishes me, not just in soul, but in body and in mind, is to do the will of God who sent me and to complete God's work. Fasting is this practice that puts us in touch with this reality that what actually nourishes and sustains you is doing the work of love, is preparing us to, at the drop of a hat, be prepared to do whatever love requires of you. Because we know That despite all of our other longings, all of our other desires, all of the other things that we think we need in a particular moment or circumstance, the one thing that we truly need is God, the presence and power and provision of God. And the first Christians took this idea and began to live it in ways that absolutely changed the world, that have shaped the world that you and I take for granted that shape the air we breathe every day, and one of uh, in, in the first few centuries after uh, Jesus' death and resurrection, uh, a, a observer of Christians uh, and of a particular Christian community uh, named Aristides of Athens, great name, uh, said this about Christians who took on this practice of fasting in really practical ways. Aristides writes this. If there is a person among them who is poor and in need, and they have not an abundance of what is needed, they, the Christians, fast for two or three days so that they may supply the needy with their necessary food. You see, not only is, is fasting meant to deepen our hunger for God, to, rep- to, to replace the time and space that we would have spent eating with others, with praying with God, but it's also meant to impact the world around us. It's not just a cul-de-sac of holiness over here, but it transforms the very world that we live in. So, sisters and brothers, here's how you can do this. Now, I'm going to caveat this with if you have health conditions or are on particular medications that prevent you from doing this, like talk with your doctor, there are ways to uh, do this. But what I want most of us to do this week is to fast, to take a 24-hour period of time where you with Go having food. And and this is best done, most easily done, the the easiest on-ramp to this is to do this over a 24-hour period from dinner to dinner. So you eat dinner, and then you don't eat breakfast or lunch, and then you break the fast the following day with dinner. But when you would normally eat at breakfast or lunch in that day, spend that time Bringing before God the area of your life where you most need God's presence or power to change or provision to do what you know you need to do to change but haven't done yet. So take a 24 hour period of time and experiment with this. And my guess is what's going to happen is you're going to feel hungry, (laughs) you're going to get hangry, it's going to feel like nothing has happened except it's, it's going to begin to build this muscle in you, this recognition in your life that what you really, really hunger for and what is most ultimately going to power, empower you to change and to change the world around you is the presence and provision of God, not your own provision to change yourself or things around you. And can you imagine how your life might be different. If you took seriously this invitation to fast, if you trusted in a practical, tangible way that God meets your hunger, that God has provided food for you, both physically and spiritually, can you imagine how things might be different in your life if you operated with a daily awareness that God Saw you, that God was with you, that God was gracious to provide for your needs? How might that change the way that you interact in your relationships with your spouse or your children or co-workers? How might that change how you think you need other people or other things or even food itself? And how might this change if we Imagine what would happen if we committed as a body to a practice like this. If we said as a people, God, we have put our effort and energy in trusting things that are not you. And we need your presence and your power to do the things that you have called us to do. Well, it might be like what St. Basil the Great once said about the power of fasting. And and this quote, I'm I'm just going to warn you, is going to sound like ridiculous. And because of that ridiculousness, I think that is an invitation to take this seriously. Because this is powerful. St. Basil the Great in the third century said, Now, if all were to take fasting as the counselor for their actions, Nothing, nothing, nothing would prevent a profound peace from spreading throughout the entire world. If fasting prevailed, weapons would not be wrought, courts of justice would not be built, people wouldn't live in prisons. Next slide. When these are rooted out, Go back one. Next. Well, there's more to this quote, and uh, this missing here. <laughs> that, that wasn't brilliant on my part to leave you hungering for more. But what he's saying is fasting helps root out uh, materialism from us. It helps root out pride and egocentricity from us, and with these things rooted out, nothing can prevent us from passing our life in profound peace and tranquility of soul. So, my sisters and brothers, what if you took fasting seriously? Maybe you could change, and maybe it would change the world. But I know this much to be true. That without fasting, whatever change you're looking for, whatever change you're desiring, whatever person you want to be and you want to change into becoming, without fasting, your change will not be lasting. Without fasting, the thing that you most desire won't stick. So may we be a people who are captured by the vision of this practice and who move in greater direction and proximity to the Jesus who meets our deepest hungers. Amen.